For those of you who have been following along the past few weeks, we are now on step number four. If those of you who have um, a sharp photographic memory, um, you'll recall that the first step is about making amends. I'm sorry, it's about making a confession. Making amends actually isn't until the third step. I just wanted to make sure that y'all are following along, keeping me honest here. And um, the second step is to start to change, followed by making amends, which we talked about last week. And then this week is apologizing for real. In other words, what constitutes an authentic apology versus a fake one, right? Um, I wanted to bring up an example, though, before we get into that in terms of what true reparation means, because this word has been thrown around in so many different circles, especially political circles, um, such as what would it mean to have reparations around slavery, for example, or even to Native Americans for the um, stealing of the land, right? So um, the example I want to use actually comes from former President George Herbert Walker Bush. Now I know several of you are gonna be surprised, but let me just say, in looking back at history, back in 1944, for instance, it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt who put the Japanese in internment camps, right? So again, I'm not gonna go over politics. All I have to say is, according to Amy Grant's song, um, um, uh, what is the title of that song? Um, uh, I can't remember what the title of the song is, but the chorus goes, there is so much good in the worst of us, so much bad in the best of us. It never makes sense for any of us to criticize the rest of us. We'll just find what we're looking for. That was the title of the song, Find What You're Looking For, right? So, and, and again, I remember Mother Teresa's quote. She said, I have a piece of Hitler in me. Even Saint Mother Teresa said that, right? So I gotta give credit where credit is due because back in 1989, former President Bush, or Bush Sr., actually um, made reparations to the Japanese American community who were interned during um, World War II to the sum of, at that time, $20,000. So in current terms, that's around $40,000. And granted, this is over 40 years later. So this, this apology, this formal apology, and um, the, the sum of money came much later. So here's the letter I want to read to you that accompanied um, the monetary sum that went out. He says, a monetary sum and words alone cannot restore lost years or erase painful memories. Neither can they fully convey our nation's resolve to rectify injustice and to uphold the rights of individuals. We can never fully right the wrongs of the past, but we can take a clear stand for justice 
and recognized that serious injustices were done to Japanese Americans during World War II. In enacting a law calling for restitution and offering a sincere apology, your fellow Americans have, in a very real sense, renewed their traditional commitment to the ideals of freedom, equality, and justice. Again, I gotta give credit where credit is due because that does sound like a sincere and authentic apology to me. Now, before I get into what an authentic apology looks like, let's talk about what a fake apology looks like, all right? Um, one, in my mind, is an apology that's just mumbled on the side, like, I'm sorry, right? Ever, or, ever heard those kinds of apologies before, right? It's like, yeah, you know, I don't really believe you, you know? Um, the other type of apology is one that perhaps you have your fingers crossed behind your back while you're saying, I'm sorry, right? I'm sorry, but not really, kind of thing. Or have you ever had the kind of apology, we were talking about this during the discussion time, <clears throat> that is just so vague, you don't even know what they're apologizing for, right? They'll say something like, I'm sorry for everything I've done. I'm like, okay, so does that include what you did in childhood up until now, if it includes everything? And what's that got to do with me? It's the kind of apology that is more centered around filling the perpetrator's need to get a load off their chest, right? To make themselves feel better, like Liz was reading earlier, to check off the list of stuff you feel like you need to do in order to make yourself feel better. And there's another kind of apology that I think is a little bit more insidious, perhaps, and it's the kind that actually gaslights the victim. It's the kind of apology where you go, I'm sorry that you're so sensitive that you actually interpreted my actions incorrectly. Because don't you know it? I have the best of intentions. And everything that comes out of my mouth is like gold, you know? You should be mining it for all its glorious glory, right? It's like, no, that's not a real apology. You, are, you, are you like questioning my sanity or how I experience the, the deed that you had done that caused harm to me? So I'm not talking about those kinds of apologies. And yet a, a, another kind of apology I think that is not really genuine, is one that comes from a place of defensiveness, right? Of, well, I feel so shameful about what I've done that I'm actually gonna turn this around and blame you for what actually happened, right? And all of a sudden, it's kind of like, well, yeah, that really doesn't make me any, feel any better, and I get the power of shame to do great harm to others, right? Including ourselves. I love Brene Brown's definition of shame, by the way. And at this point, if you don't know by now, I believe in the Holy Trinity of Mary Oliver, Thich Nhat Hanh, and Brene Brown, which is why I use all my examples 
from these three great wise teachers, right? So, yeah, I heard an applause for that. Yeah, aren't they great people? So anyway, Brene Brown says that the difference between guilt and shame is that shame is based on this thought that you are a bad person, that, you know, that you somehow, because of what you've done, don't deserve worthiness or dignity and respect because you're a bad person for what you've done. Guilt, on the other hand, focuses on what you've actually done. So it's the behavior that causes you guilt. And I know for some of us, I'll speak for myself, in that there's sometimes a comparison between Chinese guilt versus Catholic guilt versus Jewish guilt. So I'm not gonna play the guilt Olympics here and have you raise your hand in terms of, and argue with me in terms of which tradition or which culture induces the most level of guilt in you. And I get too that guilt can sometimes become paralyzing, that you feel so guilty about what you've done that it inhibits you from doing anything else. But Brene Brown argues that if we do feel guilty about our behavior, that could sometimes be a helpful thing because it could actually cause us to rethink what we've done and say, how could we make it right? How could we make amends because you felt guilty about what happened that caused the relationship to go awry? So given that, I feel like an authentic apology will be focused on the victim themselves and what needs to be done in order to right the situation. So I feel like in some ways, guilt could actually be a good thing, unless it's my mother that is trying to guilt me into eating my vegetables, for example, or something like that, right? Um, and, and I feel like this whole notion of what does constitute an authentic apology has a lot to do with the level of vulnerability we allow ourselves to have. Because again, when we get into this shame stage, it easily stirs us in the direction of blaming and anger and again, behavior that doesn't necessarily heal the relationship, but rather when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, and it, let's face it, especially when money is involved, it's hard to allow yourselves to be vulnerable, right? I could only imagine the amount of debate that went on in Congress before they passed that reparation bill that came with a now $40,000 price tag attached to it, right? And again, I could only imagine how difficult it would be to make yourself be vulnerable in a litigious society. Because how far could people carry that and how much can you be sued for if you admitted that you actually did something wrong? Which is probably why corporations um, you know, have very carefully worded um, phrases that they use 
Like any of you ever experienced a flight delay before, right? And they had to figure out how many hours before they could actually compensate you for the, the delayed flight, or they have to figure out at what point do they put you up at a hotel or do all these things to you, right? Or I'm sure they have to run it by their legal department in terms of the letter you get with the final compensation of we'll give you X number of miles if you guarantee not to sue us in the future and we won't talk about this ever again, right? So I'm not talking about that kind of apology, but I'm talking about the authentic one of, I could see how what I did did hurt you. And after going through this process of self-reflection, maybe there's another way of moving forward. And again, to quote Brene Brown, what is the definition of authenticity? She says, authenticity is a collection of choices that we have to make every day. It's about the choice to show up and be real, the choice to be honest, the choice to let our true selves be seen. So that is her definition of authenticity. And in my mind, the reason, part of the reason why, because some of you might be saying, oh my gosh, Jennifer, this is the fourth sermon you're talking about forgiveness and reparation. Can't we move on already? Why do we have to go through each and every single one of these steps in order to even get to where we are today of um, a, an authentic and real apology? Well, it's because if you'll notice, there's a lot of praxis and reflection aspect to this. And true transformation takes time. And finding out what you actually did quote unquote wrong to hurt another person takes time. None of this happens overnight or with the flip of a switch, right? That all of a sudden you feel better about the relationship and you accept someone's apology. As you probably talked about earlier, maybe it wasn't even time yet for you to hear the apology or to, let alone to accept it. And Rabbi Rutenberg says that there's no rule here that says you have to accept someone's apology, especially if you feel like it was an insincere apology. So I want to move on and say that the most important part of this whole process is what are the lessons learned from this experience? So Oprah said that never advises us to never waste a good mistake, right? In other words, even with the mistakes that we made, because we've all done it, right? Myself included. What are some gems that we can mine from that? And what are some lessons that we could learn moving forward? Which is what we'll be covering next week is um, um, how to make a different choice next time. Because again, like Brene Brown said, it's all about the choices we make day after day after day. So with that, I'll end with um, the fourth person of the quadrinity for me, which is Amy Grant. Um, she, again, her song talks about, um, hang on one second, let me um, uh, find the uh, exact lyrics so that I don't botch it. Right, so she says that 
haven't we learned that the best life's lessons come? Haven't we all learned that the best life's lessons come by falling and falling down hard? This is part of the bridge to the song. If we're looking for someone's failures, we don't have to look very far. So with that, I want to end by saying, let's try to take a look at what the lessons are here. And if we do fall, why don't we take a look at our role in it and how we could come back into right relationship with another person. For more on this, tune in two weeks from now. Can you all wait that long? All right, well, I'm gonna leave you with another cliffhanger. So this will be motivation for you to come back in two weeks for the next part of On Repentance and Repair. Thank you.